In the space of October to now, gone from not even knowing that I had ADHD or autism and having 500 connections on LinkedIn to now, yeah, being diagnosed with both and having an audience of like coming up to 60,000. Do you find yourself winging your way through life, hoping you'll figure it all out on the way? Hello, it's me, Gabby Mendez, your 20s wing woman, and you're listening to the Talk 20s podcast. Here you'll find me chatting to influential 20-somethings on different topics that matter to you in your 20s and all the things we never got taught in school. This is your ultimate guide to adult life. So if you're ready, let's go. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Talk 20s podcast. This week I'm joined in the studio by Ellie Middleton. I'm so excited to talk to her today. She shouts all about neurodiversity and I'm really interested in having this conversation with her today, talking about her recent diagnosis of autism and ADHD. And we're going to talk all about life in your 20s um, and I'm super excited for this chat. So hello Ellie. Welcome to the studio. Thank you. I'm so excited excited about having you on because it you know I watch from afar on LinkedIn because you are amazing on LinkedIn got to get that in right at the beginning <laughs> of the first sentence and you are probably one of the most open most relatable people that I think a lot of people in their 20s will be looking up to if they're on that platform at the moment um do you get a lot of people saying that to you yeah it's a bit bizarre I think it's like I almost forget that people see it in real life I think I, I do I'm kind of like in the zone of like pushing out content on there and obviously yeah I don't know, it's almost like separate. And then you meet people and like, oh, you're Ellie from LinkedIn. I'm like, oh yeah, that's me. (laughs) That is you. Um, But yeah, it's strange. It's amazing. Like it's so, so nice to get so many lovely messages from people. But yeah, it's kind of strange like remembering that it's actually real life mm-hmm. too <laughs> and also this is relatively new for you yeah. isn't it it's happened very very fast so you you fill, fill us in fill our listeners in on like your story you know in the past couple of years and and tell us a little bit more about Ellie yeah so everything's kind of gone crazy over the last just over six months really so I was kind of yeah living a very normal life just working as a marketing assistant um always kind of struggled with my mental health but always been like diagnosed with anxiety and depression and it was like just over a year ago when we were in that third lockdown after Mm -hmm. Christmas and I kept been going in cycles of being like really good really happy really kind of busy and then crashing and burning and that had happened like a few times like throughout life and I could feel myself getting to that low point again and I was kind of like you know anxiety and depression aren't the problem here like something else is going on and like the anxiety is just the side effect of whatever mm. else is kind of you know I'm going 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 and then the anxiety comes from like overwhelm and burnout and stuff like that like I'm not an anxious person I just get to a point where I am um so it was kind of like digging around like at one point I kind of thought maybe like bipolar or BPD were like kind of what was going on I just knew that something was going on up there um and then I um was having counseling through work and my counsellor, we were just kind of talking, I'd had a bicker with like my then boyfriend and we were talking about what, like what the reason was for that it had bothered me so much. And she just said to me, has it ever been looked into why you take things so literally? And I was like, no, it hasn't. Um, but I think I know what you're hinting at here. So I kind of went away and did a massive rabbit hole search into autism, ADHD, and was suddenly like, oh my goodness, mm. <laughs> I know what's going on here. Like, yes, 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 yes. Um, so yeah, that was kind of at the same time as working in this other job and then all kind of came to a head, I guess, around in October. So September, October time, I started a new job, um, in a personal branding agency 
And they suggested that I start posting on LinkedIn because that's what we were doing for clients. So it was kind of like, you know, we're advertising that we're good at LinkedIn content for clients. So it'd be really good if you could do it Mm. yourself. And yeah, so a very similar time, I got my ADHD diagnosis in October and started posting on LinkedIn and like very randomly, very kind of wildly one post just went very viral very quickly. Um, So that kind of like, yeah, catapulted me into suddenly having an audience that were interested in what I had to say and I suddenly had this new thing that I just found out about myself that was mm-hmm. like answering so many of my questions so it kind of all just naturally took off from there really I you know so yeah suddenly had people that were interested in what I had to say and suddenly had something that I was interested to tell people um and yeah it's just spiraled from there it it's mm-hmm. it's mad to even kind of talk about it because I think I'm so busy going 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 um that I don't kind of get chance to actually take in what's happening but yeah definitely so yeah in the space of October to now gone from not even knowing that I had ADHD or autism and having 500 connections on LinkedIn to now yeah being diagnosed with both and having an audience of like coming up to 60,000 so it's amazing. a whirlwind but it's a good amazing one. and if we like that viral post that went kind of all over LinkedIn it was super relatable but it was probably not the content that people think would do really well on LinkedIn because I think a lot of people will listen to this and go LinkedIn that's just like people just posting that they got a new job that they graduated and la 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 but your post and loads of other people have copied that post and reshared and done different versions of it that are more like to them but I think that that was kind of talking about a new generation of work and I think a lot of people who are listening to this right now will think that's more like you know the work that I see but it's not how I thought LinkedIn was was going to be. Yeah, you know? I think like I was very much the same that until I'd got that job, I'd never been on LinkedIn. Like I had a like a profile, an empty profile with no profile picture, you know, literally just had like my jobs on it and stuff yeah. like that. And I was, I think that's kind of like what prompted me to post in that way because I was almost like very aware when coming onto the platform that like, there was no point in me preaching about marketing or preaching about personal branding because there were so many people on there that knew so much more than I did. You know, I was like one year into working in marketing and two weeks into working in personal branding. Mm -hmm. So if I'd have kind of showed up and started being like, oh, this is the best technique for this or this, there's no point in me saying that people know that already. Mm. So I think it was very much like, okay, what what value can I bring? Because I can't provide any value in marketing because they all know like so much more than me already. So the value that I can bring is like, the way that I see the world in a different way I guess so I think it was yeah I think a lot a lot of people have asked me since you know like what triggered you to write that post or like what inspired it and I don't think it was anything in particular I think I was just like actively trying to pull out the thoughts that were different from what Mm. was on there you know like passing thoughts that I'd had and you know oh this is something that maybe someone's not spoke about before or maybe this can like help people to see this in a different way and yeah because it was all about like what people see as professional right yeah so it was kind of like yeah what what the idea of professional is and I think for me it was all quite like top level stuff for me you know like uh, the fact that I've got tattoos and piercings the fact that I talk about my mental health the fact that I'm young and chatty and I go out on a weekend quite like yeah surface level stuff mm-hmm. um yeah saying that, that didn't make me any less professional but I think the conversation quickly went so much deeper you know it was coming into people like being told that the texture of the hair wasn't professional or the color of their skin wasn't professional or women being told that they weren't professional because they were wearing a suit so I think you know what to me was just like a passing comment in a conversation Mm. like quickly opened up the conversation for a much bigger topic so yeah I think it was and LinkedIn themselves got involved in this discussion (laughs) didn't they which is madness 
yeah basically like people were copying it and doing their take on it mm. and um just by chance I guess somebody had nominated not nominated or but somebody had done it and somebody had seen it and somebody had seen it and the VP of marketing at LinkedIn ended up doing her own version which was just like okay wow. this is happening now um and yeah without me knowing they'd been having like similar conversations behind closed doors because they were you know they're a professional platform and they'd been having these conversations about okay what does professional mean now you know mm-hmm. it's changed so much um and yeah they were filming a a campaign around it and yeah it was kind of it became inspired by the post and loads of exciting things happens they filmed a tv ad in la which i sadly didn't get to go to um, but yeah i got to get down to london and film it as a spotify advert and yeah it is just crazy how it was literally just like me waking up one yeah. wednesday morning and thinking oh what should i post about today or this you know this will do and just so much stuff has happened off the i think that's credit to a lot of people listening right now that like just give some stuff a go you yeah. can overthink a lot of things you can be like oh i'm not sure if this is right is this the kind of thing it's supposed to go on linkedin posted anyway yeah You're a great example yeah, of that definitely. because you can never know where that might that might go it might go nowhere yeah. might have a handful of likes and that but you you know it might it might also give you so many opportunities because off the back of that so many people now know who you are so many people now follow your journey and you talk really openly about neurodiversity and that and and, and um neurodiversity in the workplace as well especially on LinkedIn um so I think it's gonna be nice to like dive in a little bit deeper to those kind of discussions and, and help our listeners with that as well um tell us a little bit more about why when you know why you never thought that um, autism and ADHD was was something that why why did, couldn't you know about, about it sooner yeah I think it's something that comes up a lot now because you know I was really lucky that I was like with the mental health service through the NHS so mm. I was in a really lucky position when I was younger that I was seeing a psychiatrist I was seeing a psychologist I did have that support that so many people can't get like I was one of the really few lucky people that actually did get that support and still nobody considered that mm. that was the answer you know it it does kind of baffle me now like how how has nobody seen this for such a long time but yeah I think just all the research that's ever been done on autism and all the representation that there is and all the ideas that we have is always in boys it's always white boys um it's always you know men really or if you think of like anyone autistic everyone's like okay rain man sheldon cooper you know it's always this like Mm -hmm. genius white man and i was like that's definitely all i would have considered you know if someone would have asked me a year ago i would have said the same thing i think there's just so little one research like medically and two just knowledge in general about what ADHD and autism actually are Mm -hmm. I think yeah no one really talks about it because it's quite a taboo subject and no one really knows and I think even like proved by the fact that I never got diagnosed even though I was getting that support even the medical professionals don't understand Mm -hmm. as much as we do Mm -hmm. and yeah I just think it's something that I was never really exposed to I didn't I've never really known anyone that was autistic, never really known anyone with ADHD, um, never seen women talking about it, only really seen like those, like Sheldon Cooper and stuff like that. Mm. You know, I haven't, and if someone would have said ADHD, I would have thought of like a naughty little schoolboy, you know, Mm -hmm. someone that was rocking backwards and forwards on their chairs. Nothing that would have ever like resonated or that I would have thought could apply to me. So yeah, I just think, I'd never had never seen it, I'd never heard about it, I'd never talked about it. So it wasn't even a passing comment that, oh, maybe that could be me, or you know, maybe that's the answer. It was just never even considered until that one that one comment that's mm-hmm. 
changed everything. Mm -hmm. So the traits and stuff like that, obviously the traits that are going to appear in a seven-year-old young boy are going to be slightly different to, you know, a young woman in her twenties. So how did you start picking up on different things? Because I know you said, you said to me in the past that like we're looking at it, like a lot of the stuff was around like having a fascination over like trains or things like that. And like that wasn't relatable to you. So what were the bits that were pulling out that you feel like were the traits that are going, yes, like that is me like 100%. Yeah, I think you almost have to like take a step back and think of the trait and then yeah separate it from how it would present in a a young boy to how it would present in Mm. you as a young woman or a young man and I think like social media has been a big part in translating that I think you know ADHD TikTok is huge there's loads of accounts people talking about being autistic talking about their journeys and I think that it's like that translation almost that okay yeah you might not collect trains and line them up in a row but do you get really obsessive about stuff that you're interested in and Mm. do you you know have like an obsession with one influencer or one band or one musician that you're just like obsessed with that one person. It's like, okay, yeah, I do do that. Whereas if I'd have seen the thing about trains, no, no I'm yeah. not interested. I don't line my stuff up in a row. I'm quite a messy person actually. <laughs> but if it's translated in that way, then I'm like, oh yeah, okay, that makes sense. And yeah, I think just taking a step back from the way that it's prescribed and just thinking as of it as a kind of idea in general. So like with the ADHD, um the hyperactivity you think of someone rocking backwards and forwards in their chair someone that can't sit still someone that you know is just fidgeting all the time and I think something that definitely resonated for me was that they say that with girls the hyperactivity is a lot more inward so that kind of explains the racing thoughts the anxiety Mm. the questioning myself the always wanting to know why that hyperactivity although I might not have been bouncing around my chair it was all there it was just internal Mm -hmm. and I think yeah definitely social media played a big part for me of being that translator of you know seeing other people talking about their experiences and seeing okay yeah I'm you know, if I'd have seen that in black and white, I might not have considered it the same way. But now you've explained it that way, then yeah, I definitely do that. Um, but yeah, I think there's so many traits that I definitely wouldn't, you know, if someone would have said someone's autistic, I think I would have been able to list like, they're not good at eye contact, and they're socially awkward. I think mm. that's all I would have been able to, you know, tell you or explain. But there's so much more in there that when I saw it, I was like, Oh God, yeah, this explains mm-hmm. a lot. Um, I think for me, the main ones that kind of start a lot of it, <laughs> I looked for it, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. But I think with on the autism side of things, it's kind of always feeling like I was almost speaking a different language. Like I've never really fit in in friendship groups. I've had a hard time with relationships. I've had a hard time with like feeling like I've been bullied. And it was almost like I knew that I was a nice person. I knew that I had good intentions. I knew that like... I was trying to do everything I could and just it wasn't being perceived in the same way and all literally like an alien or like a different language just like I'm saying one thing and it's been taken as a completely different thing like Mm -hmm. why is that happening and I think you know getting the autism diagnosis explains that a lot Um, I think in terms of kind of literal thinking black and white thinking not being able to read between the lines like I am very very bad at that you know if someone hints something I don't get it um I need stuff clearly explained um it's hard to think now because it's just like so much of my life mm-hmm. but yeah I think um overstimulation is a massive one for autism as well so kind of like sensory stuff um so 
for example, if I'm watching TV and somebody's like flicking on their phone and watching a TikTok and there's two noises that can absolutely grind my gears mm-hmm. so badly. I think it's quite similar with like all the senses, different people struggle in different ways. Um, but if lights are too bright, that can be really hard. And, you know, if something, if you're walking past like lush or somewhere like that and the smells are really strong, that mm-hmm. can be really like, but I think as well, the big thing is that you don't realise that you're doing it until you see it on a piece of paper. You know, like I've been to busy airports, I've been to supermarkets and I felt agitated. I thought, why am I so agitated? What's going on here? Why am I stressed? And it's like, oh, okay, now I know that it's because the lights are really bright, it's really busy, it's really noisy. Um, and it it does explain a lot once you see them. Mm-hmm. And so now having this like diagnosis, how has that changed you like in work, outside of work, in just life in general? Like what's that meant for you? So someone said to me, like, when you get your diagnosis, nothing changes, but everything changes. And I think that's just the best way to put it. Like, I've still got the same brain. I still find the same stuff difficult. I still find the same stuff easier than other people. But I understand what those things are now. Mm. I think it was almost like I was just like, again, rushing through life, like feeling like a bit of an alien, not really knowing why, not really knowing, you know, why do I find this so much harder? Why do I find this easier than other people? You know, why don't people understand that I'm a nice person? Why don't I fit in? And now it's like, I've got the answer to all of those questions. I know exactly how my brain works. I know what's easy. I know what's difficult. I know what's going to push me over the edge. I know what I'm going to be good at. And I think in a way, I'm probably in a much better position than most people now. Like, although I might struggle with some things, I know what those things are. You know, I I know exactly what works for my brain. So I know that I need structure so I can put that structure in place. I know that I need quiet time so I can can plan for that and I can make sure that I'm not too busy on a weekend. Um, I know that bright lights are too much so I can make sure to not be in like a place where that's happening. Um, And yeah, I think it's just like, I've got all the answers now to be able to make my life as easy as possible. Whereas a lot of people kind of go through the whole life of not really exactly understanding how their brain works. They're just doing, they're just going, they're just carrying on doing what everyone else is doing in this rat race. Whereas I have the blueprint, basically. I know Mm -hmm. what's going to work for me. I know how I can make my life easier. It's just a case of me now putting that into place. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I I think the main thing for me was just like the validation and the relief and just like... I can look back on so many things now and it kind of is quite a long process. Like stuff will come back up and out, you know, that I've not really considered before. And I'll be like, ah, okay. You know, I think I did spend so much time, like, again, that feeling like an alien and like just really beating myself up. Like, why can't I just have friendships like everyone else? Why, like, why don't people like me? And I think now it's like, okay, I know why. It's just, it's not, I'm not a bad person. I just was almost speaking a different language. I think for me, it was definitely that like, yeah, that relief of there's nothing wrong with me. Like, I'm not a bad person. I'm not a narcissist. I'm not a bitch. I'm not, you know, I'm I'm just autistic. It's mm-hmm. fine. Like, mm-hmm. and I think, yeah, I think it it's helped as well. I think I did get to a point before I before I had those answers where it was like desperation and it was almost like, you know, whatever I do, I'm still getting myself every six months in this cycle of being in a breakdown. You know, like I'd go through therapy, I'd have counseling, I'd go on antidepressants, I'd like make myself, like I'd build myself right back up again. And then whatever I did, six months later, I was back crashing and burning. And I think I I can remember like 
probably just over a year ago, just before this kind of all happened, I was like, I am never going to get anywhere in life because whatever I do, however much I look after myself, even if I get my eight hours sleep every night, if I do this, I do, I crash and burn every six months. And I was like, how am I, how am I ever going to get past that? So I think now it's kind of like, yeah, the, the understanding of how my brain works, how I can stop getting to that breakdown and yeah, just having all the kind of tips and tools to know what to set up a life for mm-hmm. myself like mm-hmm. and for you like with the the diagnosis process was was that an easy one maybe because obviously you had the that kind of the mental health support and stuff stuff that kind of side of things was it easy going through that process and and if someone else was kind of thinking mm, I'm really relating to everything Ellie's saying here right now how could they go about it yeah it's it's definitely not easy at the moment I think this is the hardest thing now that a lot of what I do is helping people to realise, okay, maybe this is something I need to look into. But mm-hmm. then actually getting the diagnosis is so tricky at mm-hmm. the moment. The waiting lists are really long on the NHS. It's expensive if you want to go private. Again, all the research is into young white boys. So a lot of people can, you know, even if they are fully showing those traits, they're not ticking all the boxes because they're not experiencing them in the way that it says on the piece of paper. Um, but yeah, for me, I I decided to go private for my ADHD assessment just because I was at that point where I was desperate. I was like, I need answers. I can't do this any longer. I just need to know what's going on. So yeah, I was really lucky to be able to afford to go private for that one. Um, I feel like I could, I could justify paying for that one more because something came off. I got my medication, you know, for, like there was an actual outcome of getting that mm-hmm. diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Whereas autism, I was like kind of happy to wait a bit longer for because I feel like definitely self-diagnosis is completely valid. Um, And like nothing was going to change if a doctor told me I was autistic. You know, there's no medication, there's no Mm -hmm. treatment, there's no cure. Um, It was just somebody else giving me that word. And I was like, I can kind of give myself that word. So yeah, I did manage to get my diagnosis about a couple of months ago now but that one kind of didn't feel as urgent mm-hmm. um I think you know go to your doctors see if you can get referred but kind of I don't want to get anyone's hopes up like it is a really long process which is really tough mm-hmm. um but I think you know obviously it's different for the ADHD because you, you need that diagnosis to get the medication but in terms of autism I think more and more self-diagnosis is becoming valid like in the community I don't know anyone you know that I kind of know from talking about autism that would judge someone for being self-diagnosed. I think it is so hard. Like diagnosis is a massive privilege. It's you either have to have the three years to wait. You have to be able to afford to go private. You have to have the energy to kind of fight with your doctor to get you referred and get you to that point. Mm -hmm. And also you have to tick those boxes that aren't designed for everyone to tick. You know, there's no research into how it presents in women. There's no research into how it presents in black people how it presents in lgbtq people how it presents in trans people like if you're i think the further away that you get from young white middle class boy which is what the research has been done on the the less likely it is that you're ever going to get your diagnosis you know even if you do wait the three years even if you do pay the however much money they might still turn around and say no because you're not showing it obviously in the way that a seven-year-old white boy would because you're not Mm. a seven-year-old white boy but yeah I think if you can do your research you know you don't have to have that label to be able you know I'm saying the best thing about my diagnosis is that I now know how to move forward in life you can do that without a doctor telling you that you know if you 
can like identify the stuff that you find hard and identify the stuff that you resonate with you know it's okay if you want to just diagnose yourself and you you know I know a lot of people that even people that kind of do similar work to me and have big audiences that don't want to go for an assessment because it's it's hard it's a lot you're literally digging up your whole whole life picking through it bit by bit you know literally all this like kind of trauma that you've been through and you're just picking at it and then it's like okay yes you're autistic see you later and then it's kind of like okay I've gone through all this information like I've just seen my whole life through different eyes and now I'm just like meant to carry on with my life so I think you know it's it's amazing like I'm so happy that I got my diagnosis like it's been life-changing for me but I think it's like a medical diagnosis isn't the be-all and end-all I think you know self-diagnosis is valid Mm -hmm. If you feel comfortable, you know, doing that, you don't, it's whatever works for you, I think, you Mm -hmm. know, it is really kind of tricky and it's not fair that people can't get those answers that they need. But I think the most important thing to remember is it's not the label from a doctor that changes your life. It's changing your life that changes your life. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I could have put all of these changes into place before a doctor told me if I still had the kind of knowledge and like awareness of these are the traits that I resonate with, I could still have put all this stuff into place without a doctor telling me that that was probably the best thing to do. I think that's so inspiring for anyone listening right now because it's, you know, like you say, you've been through the whole the whole journey, but also there's there's lots of hope there in terms of like, you know, you you can go and, you know, make changes in your life that will have a really positive impact and probably make you discover a little bit more about, you know, how your brain works and and what life looks like for you as well. So I think for anyone listening right now, I'm sure they're going to be incredibly inspired. Um, neurodiversity in the workplace then. You talk about it a lot on LinkedIn. What are your kind of key messages that you want to share for people, um, for maybe employers, you know, co-workers? And, and what do we really need to understand about neurodiversity in the workplace? Yeah, so I think there's kind of like two sides of it. I think there's kind of like people always think of these like ways of being neurodivergent as like a bad thing and they don't necessarily know the strengths that come with it. So I think that's one side of it of kind of like, seeing the strengths that come with these conditions Mm -hmm. and I think the other side of it is kind of like the inclusivity and the making sure that workplaces are set up in a way that's like accessible for these people so I think in terms of like the strength-based side I think again that's just that we don't have like the awareness or the education about you know I would have known if someone said like autism what's good about it I don't Mm. know they're a genius (laughs) like I don't Mm. I think just people don't know you know and I think it is just kind of educating people of like what comes with it you know I before I got my diagnosis or before I discovered ADHD I would never have considered myself to be a creative person you know like I don't draw I don't paint I you know I'm not like artistic in any way um but what I didn't realize was like that the amount of ideas that I have is unusual you know I know that my brain's really busy I used to say to my mum like I wish my brain would just shut up but I didn't know that everybody's brain wasn't that busy because I didn't know that anything was different about me I've only ever lived in this brain and no one had kind of like told me that my brain was different so I didn't know that that was a strength you know I just kind of presumed everybody has loads of ideas all the time so I think you know understanding that that is a strength now allows me to use that because I know okay I am a really good ideas person because of the way that my brain works Mm -hmm. so I can put myself in positions where ideas are helpful and I can put forward my ideas because I might have presumed that, oh yeah, I've thought of this, but everyone else must have thought of that as well. Whereas me pointing out what seems obvious to me or ideas that I've had, other people haven't thought of that because they don't have the bouncing around brain. 
Um, yeah, I think like there's kind of different things to all of it. Like with autism, I can see things in a really kind of process and structured way. You know, I'm quite good at breaking stuff down into like, okay, so if we want to get here, we need to do this, 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 and this, like that clarity, that structure, that process. But again, I wouldn't have known that I was good at that because I didn't know that everybody else didn't work in that way because mm-hmm. It was kind of like, well, that's just naturally how my brain works. So surely everybody else's brain works that way too. I didn't know that that was unusual until I saw it on a list of things about being autistic. And I was like, oh yeah, I do that. Just, is that not what everybody else does? Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, if it if we don't know about all the traits of these conditions, we don't know about the good ones either. And, you know, I think people would maybe see it on a CV or like see me like in an interview I don't have good interview skills, you know. I don't have good eye contact. I'm twitching. I'm playing with my rings. Like, I can't sit still. People might be put off hiring me because they're like, oh, well, you know, she's not got great interview skills. But then if they knew that, okay, well, she's going to come up with 10 times more ideas than anybody else on my team and she's going to work in a really, like, structured way that's going to get us to where we want to be, then, you know, that's a selling point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think not that we should be hired just for those special superpowers, but just like don't write us off for the stuff that's a bit tricky because there is good stuff in there too. Um, I think on like the inclusivity side, it's just that again, no one's really aware of what's tricky for us. So no one maybe knows that they should do those things to make it more helpful. You know, like you might maybe hire somebody with ADHD and then you just think, I don't know what I'm supposed to do to help them. You know, I know I'm aware that they've got this condition. Now what? Mm -hmm. And I think if I can kind of, yeah, start the conversations about, okay, this is what's hard for us. This is what you could do to make it easier. You know, for autistic people, it's quite overwhelming if the office is really noisy. So if you can just like make sure there's quiet places, then that'd be really helpful. Then it's like stuff that people can really easily usually put into place, but they just wouldn't have known that they needed to because again, no one's having these conversations. And I think on the on that side of it on the inclusivity side people don't realize like how simple it can be you know like if you say to somebody like okay like we're going to make you inclusive or we're going to be accessible people will think money they'll think it's really expensive it's software it's like building a new office it's like all this complicated stuff but so much of it is like I know that I can text my boss and say I'm having a really like bad morning. I'm going to go for a walk and I'll make it up this afternoon. Fine. That's not affecting him in any way. It's not costing him any money. Mm-hmm. It's just that I'm not going to work for the next two hours. I'm going to make those two hours up later. And like, again, with the the like quietness in the office, that's not costing you anything. Just like ask people to wear headphones rather than playing the radio. You know, I think people yeah hear the term like inclusivity accessibility and they're like oh no we can't do that we can't afford that that's too complicated or they think it has to be these like policies and stuff like that and it's just so much of it is just like rooted in kindness Mm -hmm. like just let me know that you're there if I need you just like let me go for a break if I need one and like let me have some quiet time if I need it most of it literally just comes back to that it's in in the best interest of any employer to really understand the needs of all of their employees especially those like who are neurodivergent and I think what you're essentially saying is to just be a little bit more understanding and open-minded and kind of you know these needs are not unreasonable yeah and like you say they're not really expensive (laughs) either like they're so simple to put in place and I think it's really important that, you know, employers and, and, and co-workers and managers and stuff like that are understanding because, like you say, there are so many, like, wonderful things about people um, who are neurodivergent that they can bring to your business that you're missing out on if you if you don't hire them or you don't 
like cater for for their needs yeah so. I think as well like all the stuff that benefit like all the stuff that we need benefits everybody else yeah. like I need that flexibility but there's nobody that wouldn't appreciate yeah. being able to go for a walk if they haven't you know everybody has bad mental health days like here's a question for you then do you think that especially with the whole conversation you had about professionalism that actually maybe an old school workplace was not really designed to be helpful to, to anyone in that kind of situation but now that we're opening up these conversations about what it means to be professional about what it means to be a good manager about what it means to have a good business that you know the things like working from home flexible working and all these kind of things it's it's helping so many people not just not just people with, you know, aut- who are autistic or ADHD, like it's helping everyone. Yeah, I think that's what it is. And I think it's like, yeah, it's again, like we maybe just need them, whereas other people would like them, but it's still helping yeah. everybody. And yeah. I think, you know, in an ideal world, it wouldn't just be like, okay, well, if you are autistic, you can have these, like you can have this policy or you're allowed to do this mm. or you can have this flexibility. It's just, if you need it, you can have this, you know, almost like a, a tick list of like okay these are the things that we can help you with would this be helpful for you would it be helpful to work flexibly yeah I'd quite like that not that I need to work flexibly because I am autistic mm-hmm. just you know these are the things that we can provide you as a workplace would that be and I think that again that's like takes away the pressure for the diagnosis because it's not like oh you know here's my piece of paper telling me that I've got ADHD so you need to allow me to have some time off it's just that you know, mm-hmm. I struggle with being overwhelmed. So flexibility would be nice. Mm-hmm. And I do think, it, yeah, it as we can kind of open up those conversations in work in general, um, it helps everybody. And I think mm-hmm. the pandemic probably pushed that forward a lot because we, we realised that people can work in their own ways. People mm-hmm. can work from home. Um, you know, people were still achieving just as much while working flexibly or from home or, you know, in whatever way they thought was best. They don't, we don't have to be all sat in the same office in suits from nine to five to achieve stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so like from your perspective then, and you know, all 20 somethings in the room and stuff like that, how can you be a good friend to someone who is autistic or has ADHD? Like how can you be a good friend to them? I think again, so much of it is just like in just kindness and understanding. Mm-hmm. I think it is like, there's no set rules. Like there's no one way to be autistic. There's no one way to have ADHD. Yeah. Yeah. It is just like, listen to that person, let them know that they can talk to you, you know, kind of, I think a big thing is kind of, if you can open up the conversation, it doesn't feel as scary for the person that needs to. So if you can say, you know, is there anything I can help you with? Or this is what I struggle with or this, you know, I think if somebody else lets you know that it's okay to like advocate for yourself then it's much easier too. And I think, you know, if you can just like, say to your friends like is you know how are you is everything okay is there anything I can help you with or is there anything you know I think just opening up the conversation both from like a friendship point of view and from like a colleague point of view is the the most important thing and just giving people that safe place that they can let you know um I think for me a lot of it is kind of like in clarity and understanding like I try to you know, I talk about the way that I am all the time. So hopefully the people around me know that, you know, if I don't reply to your message for two weeks, it's not that I'm a bad friend. It's just that I'm busy or I've forgotten that I've got texts and I've got loads of things to do. Um, I think, yeah, just like people not expecting too much from you and just having, you know, that's just, that's just how Ellie is like not getting kind of annoyed that I might be, 
like bad at conversation and being clear with your feelings, especially from an autistic point of view. Like I can't read between the lines. Like I can't, if you, or again, I can't hint either. So like people might think like, oh, she's not messaged me. So she must be annoyed. I'm not, if I'm annoyed, I'll tell you I'm annoyed because I work in black and white. And if, again, if you're annoyed, please tell me because I might not realise. I think, again, yeah, just clarity, kindness and understanding. Mm -hmm. I would think, you know. Which we all need more of Exactly. Again, I think it's like like being a good friend to an autistic person is the same as being a good friend to anybody. It's Mm -hmm. just being a good friend. It's, you know, being there for that person, understanding what's best for that person, being kind to that person, being compassionate to the struggles that they have. I think... Again, we kind of, you know, we think that it's going to all be like these complicated things that we have to do. And so much of it is just be nice. (laughs) (laughs) No, definitely. And I've I've loved hearing about, you know, everything you're doing, because I think what you're doing is opening up the conversation for other people to have. And it's something that, like you say, most people are having these conversations with, you know, really young children or like Sheldon Cooper, like you were mentioning. It's not happening you know across the world and 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 with all different people from all different types of backgrounds and you're starting to open up that conversation which I think is amazing and you are truly like a a champion for doing that so I think you know massive credit goes to you um but I'd love to chat to you a little bit more about life in your 20s in general um and of course that means that you know like neurodiversity and what a big part that's played in your life but I'd love to know if there's there's ever been something that's gone wrong or not not gone as you'd expected maybe you'd even class it as a failure but you've taken away from that one of the biggest lessons like of your life yeah I think so I dropped out of sick form um I so I was like 17 had all my uni offers was predicted like two A stars and an A A level was like loved school really Mm -hmm. wanted to go to uni I was studying maths like I loved like learning I really wanted to go to uni I had the like I was on track to get the grades I needed and I just had a meltdown. I just was so like severely overwhelmed, um, couldn't leave the house, you know, didn't want to talk to anybody. I just could not bring myself to go to school. And it was like the hardest thing in the world to admit that I needed to drop out. You know, I was like, I just want to go. Like, why can't I just go to, why can't I just do it? Mm. I want to go to uni now. People were like, you know, it's, it's anxiety, it's panic attacks. And I was like, but I'm not panicking. I want to do it. Um, so yeah, it was really, it's really hard for me at the time to drop out of school. Um, and I think for a lot of time, like a lot of, a long time, I really like beat myself up about that you know like I really wanted my degree you know a lot of things I was like well I'm never going to get anywhere because I don't have a degree like I don't have my A levels I don't have any qualifications I think that was something that was like really tricky for me to deal with because it didn't feel fair either you know it was like it was because of my mental health that I dropped out like it's not my fault I just couldn't do it and I think that was something that kind of stuck with me for a really long time um but like from now looking back you know, what good would a maths degree have done me? Mm. Like what good would Mm. like maths A-levels have done me? What Like I didn't want to be a mathematician. I just loved studying and that was like the next step that everybody else was taking. You know, I didn't have this like burning passion to be a, I don't know, maths teacher. Mm -hmm. It was just Mm -hmm. that I was good at maths and I wanted to do what everybody else was doing. Um, And I think it's definitely like, it's taken me a long time to get to the lesson. Um, but I think like kind of realizing that you, you don't have to take the path that everyone else is taking. Like it feels so scary not to, and it, it is so hard to remind yourself, but like 
none of this amazing stuff that's happening to me now would have happened if I'd have gone to uni because I wouldn't have got to the place where I, I don't know, I just probably wouldn't have found out and I definitely wouldn't have considered marketing and definitely wouldn't have considered personal branding. And I think, you know, it feels so like cringe to say, but like, yeah, everything is going to work out. You know, you don't have to do what everybody else is doing. You don't have to force yourself down a path that you think is the right one. Just go with what feels right now and then keep following what feels right. I think one of the biggest things you were feeling at that moment in time was perhaps like a shame around the fact that you weren't do what everyone else was doing because I know a lot of people feel that pressure to be like this is the path that I've got to follow because it's like everyone else and if I do something different I'm going to seem like a massive outlier and people are going to be like oh like she's chosen to do this like was was there an element of that yeah I think definitely that and I think almost like I felt like wasted potential I think where mm. we have this like thing drilled into us where it's like if you get good grades you stay on for sixth form if you yeah. get good grades in sixth form you go to a good uni if you get a good degree you get a good grad scheme and that's like the only it's like unthinkable that you know if I'd have gone to school and said you know my first job after I kind of dropped out and then got better was in a post office if I'd have gone to my tutors at school that were like teaching me and seeing this a star math student and said do you know what I think I'm just going to go and work in a post office they would have been like absolutely not like you can go to this uni you can do this so why wouldn't you do that you know Mm. and I think that it was for me it was definitely that like I felt like wasted potential, you know, I'd been told that like, that was the only way for me to be successful to follow this path. And like, that's not the case. My God, what potential you have now though? Like, look at you. I, like, I kind of feel like going back now and saying like, yeah, like, oh, look at me now. like literally, yeah. but it, it's crazy. Cause I think you obviously just, your path wasn't linear. Like you still got to where you wanted to, to go really yeah. in a sense. I mean, what, what we'd all deem as like successful, but like, that doesn't mean that you've done different jobs that maybe people, you know, wouldn't deem as as fulfilling your true potential. Not that there's anything yeah. anything wrong with, um, you know, working at the post office. Yeah. I love my post lady. And, She's amazing. And I think as well, like, again, that I, like, I thought that, you know, because I get, I can get good grades, I have to get a good degree and then I'm going to get a good grad scheme and then I'm going to get loads of money and, and like, people, you don't have to want what everybody else wants. If yeah. you want to just work in a post office for the rest of your life, amazing please go and do it and be happy Mm -hmm. if you find your happiness like outside of work if you want to just have a job that pays the bills you can spend more time with family if you want to travel then just do like odd jobs in between Mm -hmm. like there's no shame in that at all like again like don't feel like you should or could be doing like this high flying thing Mm -hmm. just like it's so hard it's so easy to say and so hard to do but just like yeah just go with what feels right and really try and drown out all the mm. people that are, all the idea that you should be doing something different mm-hmm. now one of the things I think a lot of people will hear from this conversation is that you are super positive especially now you've got your like your diagnosis as well that it kind of feels like everything is going quite well for you at this moment in time but we know from talking to everyone on the Talk 20s podcast that no matter how high or low someone is at different points we are all still trying to get better at something none of us are perfect you know none of us have got everything all worked out we are all trying to get better at something so for you right now what is that what is one thing that you're trying to improve in your life or get better at I think like overwhelming boundaries I think like I almost forget because I do so much shouting about it but I am literally navigating a new life you know like I am fine I'm just talking about it as I go along but I don't know any more than anybody else like I'm still figuring out okay, how much can I do before I get burned out? Like, what is too much for me? Like, what tips me over that edge? Like, I know now that I'm prone to feeling burnt out and overwhelmed, but I 
not quite found exactly like where that is yeah, yet. Yeah. Um, and I think, again, a lot of it is because so many good, exciting things have happened that I'm like, I need to do all of them, you know? Like I've yeah. never been offered to be on a podcast before. I've never been offered to do speaking before. I've never, and it's like, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Yeah, and I think for like until literally probably about this month I was literally just like yep 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 I'll do everything and like just every I don't know couple of weeks getting to a point where one tiny thing would happen and it would just like tip me over the edge and have a massive Mm. cry of like I can't do it like ringing my mum and I think yeah I need to something that I'm actively trying to do is really having firm boundaries I think it's something that feels so unnatural especially like I'm a massive people pleaser but I think you know yeah I'm really trying hard to set okay these are the certain times of the week that I will do you know things outside of work these you know I need I have to do my housework I'm going to do it on a Tuesday evening and if someone asks me to do something on a Tuesday evening sorry I can't I do housework on a Tuesday Mm -hmm. and I think you know that is something that's so hard because you do want to do everything you want to say yes especially I think it's even harder because all the stuff is good yeah you know like I was saying amazing opportunity isn't it and like you know amazing opportunity housework yeah housework but like if you don't do your housework when it gets to the weekend you're going to be like oh my gosh, like this is so much harder than it. It just, yeah. it, it doesn't actually help you in the long run, does yeah, it? Yeah, I think, and again, yeah, it is so, it's so tricky to do. And it's so like, literally it's reminding myself every day that like, these are the rules. You know, I only do one podcast a month now. I only do one public speaking. One on it. <laughs> I know. And I think like, literally I had to get to the point where I had to write it in black and white and yeah. I called them my personal policies. Because I feel like Love that takes that. the guilt away from it as well. Because I mm. think, you know, it's really... You're like, I'm like, I don't want to say no. I want to do all the things. Whereas mm-hmm. I'm like, sorry, I have a personal policy that I just do one a month and I'm full this month. So we can do next month if you yeah. want. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that for me was like a really helpful way to do it. But yeah, definitely. I love I'm that not, personal policy. Yeah, someone told me, that. I think it was off like, uh, I don't know, someone had seen it on YouTube and someone told mm-hmm. me and I was like, that's the answer. Yeah, Because I'm so, in the past, I've been so good at like having good intentions with setting boundaries and being like, yeah, I'm going to get better at managing my time. I'm going to do, but if there's no firm rules, I just go back yeah. to taking everything on, burning myself mm-hmm. out, being tired, people pleasing. Whereas now I'm like, it's there in black and white. I just have to follow the rules. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, definitely. That's my main focus. I think at the minute is working out what my limits are Mm -hmm. and setting boundaries to make sure I stay within those limits Mm -hmm. well it's been amazing chatting to you on the podcast and before I ask you the very last question where can we find you on social media so I'm on LinkedIn as Ellie Middleton I'm on TikTok and Instagram as Unmasked with Ellie so Mm -hmm. yeah Amazing. Well, we always ask the same question at the end of every podcast. So if you've listened to many before, you'll know exactly what I'm about to ask Ellie. Um, But it's if you could go back to the beginning of your 20s to 20 year old Ellie, and if you could look her in the eye and give her just one piece of advice that would help her through her 20s, what would you say to her? I think like focus on the ones that love you rather than trying to please the ones that don't. I think I spent so much time like even like literally probably until the last year if if that I probably still I'm guilty of it now Mm -hmm. I'm so worried about like why don't I fit in why don't these people like me like why and just spend so much time trying to please everybody else and I just think it makes me so sad now all the stuff that I probably did to try and fit in and I was just so like desperate to be liked and I just think if you can just take a step back from that and find even if it's like two really good friends that do love you 
like that's fine you know mm-hmm. even if it's just your mum and dad that's fine like I think just focusing on the people that love you rather than trying to like you're never going to please everybody it's literally impossible yeah. like even now like I am so happy and living my best life and there's still going to be people out there that find me annoying and you know don't like what I'm doing or think I'm an attention seeker that's fine mm-hmm. you know I think definitely, yeah, focus on the ones that love you rather than the ones that don't. Oh, what amazing piece of advice. I think you're absolutely spot on there. And I think anyone listening to this whole episode will feel truly inspired by you. Keep doing what you're doing. I absolutely love it. We love you so much, honestly. You're doing an amazing job. So thank, thank you so you. much for coming into the studio today. Thank you for having me. It's been so nice to chat. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Talk 20s podcast. I hope it inspired you in some way and pops a little pep in your step for this week got a spare minute it would mean the absolute world if you could subscribe leave a review or share this episode with a friend we're on a mission to help as many 20 somethings navigate their 20s as we can and we really cannot do it without your support we also love to hear from you you can find us on all platforms via the handle at talk 20s and if you're struggling with something in your 20s that we haven't already covered in the podcast dm us and let us know so we can cover it in a future episode And for more stories of inspiration and resources to help you make the best of your 20s, head to our website, talk20s.com.